So some background to this story. If you do not remember, there's the people of Israel and they were going through a drought. They had no water because this guy named Elijah came up to King Ahab, who was the king of Israel, and he basically said, all right, so in three years, there's not going to be any rain. Well, he didn't say three years. He said, so it's not going to rain in the land of Israel until I say so. Goodbye. And he left and it stopped raining. And so the Lord told Elijah, he was actually like, uh, you better get out of here as fast as you can because things are going to start happening. Crazy stuff is going to start happening. So Elijah hightails it out of there and leaves. And then there's the battle on Mount Carmel. If you remember, there was that showdown, the battle for truth, the battle for God. Are you going to obey Baal or obey God? You have to choose either one or the other. You can't have both. And then a little bit after, it's still there's no water. God proves himself with a cloud of fire in front of the people of Israel and they realize the Lord, he is God. And because of that, now Elijah has proved the existence of the one true God and now it's time to bring the water back to end the drought. You know, right before I came here, some of the most interesting videos for me to watch on YouTube are the ones with crazy preachers. Like the ones that like they start speaking in tongues, they start like slaying people in the spirit. It just, it boggles my mind. I don't know if you've ever watched these videos, but they'll like take up hours of your life because you'll just Google like, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, even crazy preacher that casts out demons or something. But you Google these things and these people just, I don't understand how so many hundreds and thousands of people can all place their trust in this one guy that says, oh, I'm going to do faith healings. Oh, I'm, we're going to cast out whatever or we're going to slay you in the spirit and do all these things. Or, and the most ridiculous thing is afterwards, it's like, all right, now everyone take out your money. It's like, hold it up and say, I'm sowing the seed so I can reap the harvest. I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to get that job I want. And they all like at his, the command, you know, they all rush up and they toss their money into the basket and they're all crying in this emotional experience. I just don't understand how so many people can be deceived by weird people. And, and sometimes I'm like, man, God forbid I do something like that. God forbid that you just come here and you have all these hopes and you just press them on. And, you know, I think that's the way that the, the, the world views a lot of Christians. The reason that you guys pray is not because there's really a God, but because people need to have hope. So they create a God and they create a deity or whatever and they pray to it or they're Buddhist and they meditate. You know, what's really funny is I've had a lot of friends that don't believe in God but believe in meditation. They say, oh yeah, I believe in that. I believe that you should meditate sometimes. It's like, well, why? If there's no God then there's no reason to meditate. And so I think the world looks at us and says, well, they don't really have a God they're praying to so it's all just kind of like fluff. But it's good for you because you need that kind of mental therapy. And so as we wrestle with the topic of prayer today, we have to ask ourselves one of the hard questions. Does prayer actually change things like the, the old motto goes? When we pray, what actually happens? Do we change God's mind? Does he remain the same? If God is all powerful and knows everything and knows what we're going to pray even before we pray, then why do we pray if God already knows it? Can he just take care of himself? Does he actually need humans? 
And most likely not. He doesn't need humans. So if he doesn't need us, then why are we even bothering praying? Does it, like if I pray for my unsafe family member for years and years, will they eventually get saved because it's their free will choice? So what actually happens when we pray? That's a good question. I don't know. So well, that's it. No, I'm kidding. So the people of Israel are in a drought. And I've noticed, especially in my life, that the Lord allows droughts in our life in order to show our dependency on him. The Lord allows us to go through those dry times, allows us to go through a spiritual drought so that we see our dependency on him. You see, the drought threw off the people of Israel's routines. They were so used to every day go to work. Imagine if we ran out of water. Suddenly there was no water. You do a lot of things differently. You wouldn't go running in the morning because you don't have a lot of water. You couldn't take showers. There's not a lot of water. There's a lot of things that you would do differently if there was a drought. And the people of Israel, you know, they might not even be thinking of future hopes and aspirations becoming, you know, famous in the people of Israel with their tribes. And I don't know what they did back then, but I don't know, dancing in their robes and I don't know. I wasn't there. But I can assure you that they weren't worried about what school to go to or what job to take. They were probably mainly concerned on, am I even going to survive? And that's why I think a lot of third world countries think about the hard questions is because they don't have those basic necessities. So the drought threw off the routines. And sometimes God throws us in a spiritual drought in order to bring us back to him. Because there's so many times that we'll think that we're self-sufficient. We think we can just solve everything. We don't need God. Like, all right, well, God, it's nice that you want to set me up for success, but I, I, kinda, I got this. I don't need you. We have habits of doing things our own way. And we don't want to seek the Lord. We don't want to set aside time for prayer. We don't want to go to all night of prayer challenge night. We don't want to read our Bibles because we got our routines. We're like, well, Lord, I have more important things to do than you. Right now I have my schedule, like I need to eat breakfast, eat lunch, eat dinner. And you don't think about, like, you never think about, well, I don't have enough time for lunch. Well, some of us do because we're so crazy busy. But at some point you're going to have to eat. But we don't treat prayer and we don't treat reading the word, taking in the spiritual food the same way because we don't see our spiritual need. Britt Merrick said in his book, Godspeed, when there's an absence of prayer in our lives, we quickly revert to doing our own thing. But when we, can't, when we realize that we can't continue on our own strength, that's when we cry out to the Lord. That's when our heart longs for the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this any longer. I've realized that unless I have you, I got nothing. Even atheists realize this. And if you notice, like I, I've known certain people that when they're going through a hard time, like they might be totally against the idea of God altogether. But as soon as someone dies that's in their family, now they're thinking about hope. Even the most strong atheists will think, well, you know, it'd be nice if you, you gave me your prayers and your thoughts, your good energy. Like, I've had people say that, like, thoughts in prayers? Like, it just sounds creepy. Like, I'm thinking about the dead person. Like, it doesn't have any effect. So what's the point in even saying it? Like, well, it's nice to know that you care, but it's not going to change anything. But if prayer actually changes something, there, that gives that little ounce of hope that even people that don't believe in God are looking for. So why should we pray? Well, three reasons. Number one, it shows our dependence on God as Lord. 
We should pray because it shows our dependence on God as Lord. In, in other words, it's kind of like we're kneeling before the king. We're recognizing that he's sovereign and we're not. A lot of times we'll pray and we'll talk casually and a lot of us will talk informally. I remember I was in one prayer meeting and this guy, like, you could just, I shouldn't be judging people, but you can just tell sometimes and you're like, oh, this guy's going to be interested. So, it, like, we're praying in a circle. It gets around to him and he says, hi, dad, it's me again. I'm like, oh, so cheesy. But some people, I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong. What I am saying is when we pray, it restores that realization of our relationship to God. Number two is it brings us into deeper fellowship with God. When we pray, our hearts are aligned with God's heart and brings us into deeper fellowship with him. And number three, it allows us as created beings to, yes, be involved in advancing the kingdom of God. It allows us as creatures to actually be involved in the shaping of this world. So I'd venture to say I do think prayer changes things. And I got a verse for that. It says Matthew 17, verse 20. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, if you took that verse and gave it to a five-year-old and said, okay, if you just pray with faith, nothing will be impossible for you. You can actually go to that mountain and say, move and it'll move. The five-year-old isn't going to question it. But if we take that verse and I gave it to you today, you'd be like, well, what's the background context of that verse? What are the qualifications in order for me to make this verse true? And we immediately say, well, for our time, for our age, we got to look at this through a different lens. The, the Bible, you know, it's been 2,000 years since it's been out, and now we have to look at it through the modern age and the modern society, and, and how is this culturally relevant to us? Which, in a lot of cases, is true, but in some senses, we miss the heart of the scriptures when we try to qualify everything. I'll get to that in a little bit. But James 4.2 says, you don't have because you don't ask. Exodus 32 suggests, just like when Moses went up to God and God says, I'm so mad at these people of Israel. They've turned against me. They're not repenting. Moses, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wipe everyone out. I'm going to kill everybody and start afresh and I'm going to make you the new guy. So I'm going to use your descendants and we're going to start afresh. And Moses said, Lord, far be it from you to erase Israel's inheritance or Israel's name from the face of the earth. Because Israel represents you. What about your promise to Abraham? What about, and he starts reminding God and God relented because of Moses's prayer. Interesting. So in one case in the Bible, we can actually see that when Moses prayed, things changed. The idea that we shouldn't bother praying because God already knows everything is actually not in the Bible. And if you have to think about it, just, just think about Jesus. If anyone didn't have to pray, Jesus didn't have to pray, right? But Jesus probably prayed more than any of us did or any of us do. Charles Spurgeon says, if God be a knee, if God be a knee, if God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. So if anyone could have used that excuse that, well, God, you already know everything, and I'm actually God, so I don't actually have to pray, it could have been Jesus. But Jesus prayed the most. He was the one who was praying throughout the night. 
He was the one who rose up early in the morning before the sun got up, before the disciples got up and prayed. Derek Prime and Alistair Begg said in their book uh, on being a pastor, it is significant that the ministry of intercession is the one ministry that our Lord continues in heaven now on our behalf. You ever think about that? The one ministry that Jesus still does in heaven is prayer for us. He prays for us. And a lot of times we'll look at prayer and say, well, yeah, that's prayer, that's nice. And we'll put prayer at the bottom of our priorities and the bottom of our list. But obviously, if you read the Bible and you read it for what it says and not qualify it, prayer is important. So all that to say, without pleading to God for restoration, the people of Israel could have only, could they, they could only hope for sporadic, you know, parcel rain. Just here and there, random bits of rain, because they're not praying. They're not seeking the Lord. They say, well, Lord, I, you know, I'm not going to pray to you, so you're just going to wait and see what happens. And talking to your friends, like, well, I hope it rains today, but I don't really know. In the same way, we should not expect a life-changing, impacting year from God without asking for it. If we don't ask God to change our lives, to change this world, and to use us in an a world-impacting way, then we shouldn't expect it either. We have to ask the Lord for it. And John 14, 14 says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Simple, right? Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so many times we take the scarred perceptions of what that looks like. We'll, we'll look at those televangelists or I'll look at those YouTube videos. I'll say, if you pray anything in the name of Jesus, and they'll use it and abuse it and say, well, did you pray in the name of Jesus? You say, in Jesus' name when you ended your prayer? And they'll abuse it to the nth degree so that we're like, well, they prayed it and it didn't work for them. So maybe it doesn't work for us either. There are five attitudes of godly prayer. And this is what we'll be going over tonight as we enter the text. That was the intro to what we're talking about, and it was a long intro, but trust me, I'm going to make sure I'm good with time today. Five attitudes of godly prayer. Number one is expectancy. Number two is humility. Number three is earnest, because apparently earnesty is not a word. Number five is faith, and there's six, apparently. <laughs> Number six is persistence. So six attitudes of godly prayer. That was a bonus. Oh, wait, no, there's five. I just can't count. Even though I look more Asian today, I apparently can't do math. So, let's look at the text. Then Elijah, oh, verse 41, by the way. 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to drink, eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. So he said, go again, go again, go again, seven times. Then it came to pass the seventh time and he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I'm sorry, I love that phrase. 
The first aspect and attitude of godly prayer is expectancy. And we see that in verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, go up, there is the sound of rain. Job chapter 12, verse 4, Job cries out when his friends are ridiculing him and he's, you know, has the boils, he has the sickness. He says, yet my friends laugh at me for I call on God and expect an answer. I'm a just and blameless man, yet they laugh at me. Some of us are afraid to expect things from God because we're afraid it's not going to happen. And some of us are afraid to put it out there and say, I think the Lord's going to do an amazing work. I think the Lord's going to heal this person. I think the Lord's going to do a miracle because we're afraid of being embarrassed and people are like, you actually expect God to do something? Especially around, I mean, I'm just saying around our Christian friends, but especially around our unchristian friends, we're afraid to say some things bold that God is going to do because we're afraid they're not going to happen. And we don't take John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Because we're like, well, he said that, but I know there's, there's a catch. I know when Jesus said that, he didn't really mean anything. How many times do we ask God for things, and we'll pray to him, but we don't actually expect they'll happen? It's like James says, you're like the double-minded man. You ask for things, but then at the same time, you're like, well, God, I don't really know if you can do it. Lord, I want you to save that person, but they're so rebellious, and I can ever picture that person being Christian, so... Well, good luck with that, God. I know you can do a lot of things. I know you made the universe, and I know you created me and made a soul, and I'm not really sure how that works, but you can't save this person. They're just, they're just so far gone. Or sometimes, I mean, I just think of my own life. I was praying for seven years for my best friend to come to know the Lord, and he, you know, he was smoking pot and doing drugs. He was on acid. He drank seven years. He was falling after that lifestyle. And I prayed every single night. I don't know if it was just out of habit or it was religious or it was one of those uh, legalistic things. But I prayed every night. And after a while, you know, you, you begin to doubt. You're like, Lord, are you really going to save this person? Because it seems pretty ridiculous. And you know what? He did. It took seven years, but it actually happened. And when you see those things happen, you're like, wow, I feel really dumb. If the Lord can save Paul, who is someone that murdered Christians and made it his job to go out and said, well, I'm going to be so holy, I'm going to be so righteous for God that I'm going to go kill all the Christians. If the Lord can take him and save him, pretty sure he can save any of our unsafe family members or friends. Sometimes we just need that, that childlike faith. I, I remember uh, when I was still doing junior high, we were talking about why do you believe in God? Why do you think he's real? One of the Ignite students says, well, I know God's real because one time I lost a toy and I prayed that God would help me find it and I found the toy. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. It's like the very definition of childlike faith. But if we believe that God is real, we should take him up on his promises. If you believe that God is real, then you should equally believe in the promise. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Luke chapter 11, verses 10 through 12 says, For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from a father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Obviously not. It wasn't just being sarcastic for the point of being sarcastic. And if you remember when we went on our winter treat two years ago, our guest speaker was talking about uh, the ridiculousness of that analogy. If you want bread 
and the son goes up to the, their dad, and you go up to your dad, and you're like, hey, can I have a loaf of bread? I'm so hungry. He's like, well, here's a rock. It looks like bread. Here you go, son. Like, oh, well, thanks, dad. Or if you ask for a fish, you're like, well, here's an eel. Like, oh, well, I guess I can make eel sushi, dad. Like, sometimes you'll ask for things, and people make you feel stupid for asking. It happens to me all the time, especially when Andy still worked here. It always made me feel stupid. But God is not like that. You don't have to be embarrassed by the things that you ask. Most of the time when I journal things down and I write prayer requests, I don't even have to have the prayer answered because in a month, I'm just like, that's the stupidest prayer request I could ever ask for. Like when I was, okay, confession. When I was in high school, and you know that how you do the don't, don't forget this letters? Every year, it would be like, Lord, let me find a girlfriend. Every single year. And then like, eventually I was just like, wow, this is really, really lame. I am just a big lame O. So I'm going to stop confessing things. <laughs> every day, if we really believe that God is real, every day we should be waiting with anticipation and excitement, saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? What are you going to actually do? Because I know that you're God. I know that you're real. I know you have a purpose for my day, and I know you have a purpose for my life. So let's see it happen. You wait, you turn the corner and something bad happens to you. You know, a guy cuts you off as you're driving. You're learning how to drive, learning how to react when people cut you off. And you're like, oh, stupid idiot. I hate this person. And then you think, you're like, wow, maybe God has a purpose for this. Maybe God wants to teach me something out of this because you recognize that God is real. In the same way, we should be expecting great things at impact, not just the same old, same old. That might mean praying for boldness or opportunities to share. Or maybe just looking at the situation where you're at and say, Lord, you're real and you have a purpose for this moment. And although I don't see it right now, I'm going to trust in your word. But so many of us can be caught up in long-sightedness and short-sightedness. What I mean by that is there's people that have vision. I'm not one of them, but like my dad, for instance, he has one eye that's long-sighted and one eye that's short-sighted. So he needs glasses in order to see things that are right in front of him. And some of us will be so concentrated on things in the future and things in the past and we're like, well, I'm so guilty. There's all these things I used to do and I don't even know if God's going to do anything for the future that you miss out on the present. And ask, Lord, what do you have for me today? Psalm 5 verses 2 through 3 says, Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my requests to you and wait expectantly. And that should be the prayer of our heart. Look at verse 42. So Ahab went up to drink, eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Second point is humility. How many of us jump into prayer with our complaints? So like, as soon as you pray, you start just going up, Lord, why? Why did you let this happen to me? Lord, why doesn't Taylor Swift love me? We'll just jump into our complaints right away. And that's why I think it's helpful to remember the Acts model of prayer. Acts means, in very short description, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So you start off your prayer praising God, adoration. Lord, you're the God of the universe. You made me. You're big. I'm small. I'll let my words be few. You have confession. Lord, I've sinned. I've done some crazy bad stuff. And you said in your word, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. So I'm going to let those things out. 
Thanksgiving, you've given me a lot of things, haven't you? Supplication at the very end. And these are the things I want. Oh, wait, they're not that big of a deal and you're God. So you got to figure it out. Okay, I'm just going to let it be. The bigger your God is, the smaller the problems of your life seem to be. And I think I'm always tempted to come to God with my game plan, with my checklist and say, Lord, and that's, that was the story of my life three years ago, which I actually have a prayer recorded. I think I've told some of you this, where I prayed and I was like, Lord, this up, upcoming year is going to be a big year for me. And I want you to tell me if I, did someone just laugh? And then that, that was like back there, right? That was like a loud laugh. Okay, so it's like, Lord, I know you have big things for me. No laugh. And I think it should either be acting. You should tell me if I should be an actor, I should be a musician or a photographer. And I gave him those three choices. And little did I know that God didn't have any of those choices in mind. And he wanted me here. Not to say that we pray doubting God's will when we pray. We're always like, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I need. But this might be stupid. So I'm not even going to bother. God, there are no stupid questions when you come to God. There are stupid questions when you come to me, but not to God. But it's a humble thing to come to God and recognize that his ways are higher than our ways. John Stott says the purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to his. And so many times we'll come up to God and say, Lord, this is what I got and I hope you do it. And that's the only choice you really got. So there, what? And so God's like, yeah, I made you and I have a plan for you. If you want to do your own thing, that's fine. But we rob ourselves of the amazing plan God has for us. And it can be a struggle. I think the hardest part about prayer is like starting off realizing that you're stupid. And when you come to God, you don't know everything. And you're aligning your heart with God's heart, which can be really difficult. Because that means putting your trust in something that you can't see. And you say, Lord... I have this really heavy decision. I got to make a decision about college or about school, about this person or how to approach this person. And I need an answer right now. And God says, well, I don't want to give you an answer right now. And then you start getting angry. You're like, well, God, if you're not going to answer me now, maybe I'm just not going to believe in you. And we figure, you know what? I'm going to make a bet with God. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a trade with God. If Lord, if I promise to read my Bible every day, will you do the blank? Or, Lord, if I pray on my knees, will you hear me? If I pray flat on my face, if I fast, are you going to hear me? It's not the position of your body, but rather the position of your heart that matters. Now, I'm not saying that there's nothing good about getting on your knees. I think there is. It humbles yourself. You look stupid when you're on your knees. And when I pray in my room, I have like, I still live in my parents' house. So I have like these guitar amps all over because I have my band's equipment all over the place. I have this little section, like this prayer section. So I can get on my knees, I can get flat on my face. And if my parents walk in, they're not going to be like, what the heck are you doing? And I just, I guess my parents are Christian. So I don't know. I I want to say I'm embarrassed to pray sometimes, but you feel kind of like humiliated too if your parents walked in on you and you're like, your hands are up in the air. I don't know. You guys are sinners too, okay? (laughs) So the question is, I mean, do you guys understand what it means to pray in Jesus' name? We're basically praying, Lord, if you have any objection to what I just said, you can do your own thing. We're praying by his authority. We're praying as he wills. 
Remember when Jesus was praying in the garden and he says, not my will? Isn't that really trippy? When Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane and says, Lord, but not as I will. You know, let this cup pass for me if there be any other way, but not as I will, but as you will. Isn't that really confusing? You're like, wait, you're God and you're saying, not as I will, but as you will. Andrew Murray comments on this and says, think of that. Christ had no sinful self, but he had a self and that self he actually gave up unto death. In Gethsemane, he said, father, not my will. That unsinning self he gave up unto death that he might receive it again out of the grave from God, raised up and glorified. Can we expect to go to heaven in any other way than he went? Beware. Remember that Christ ascended into the death and, and the grave and it is in the death of self following Jesus to the uttermost that the deliverance and the life will come. The next point is also in verse 42 and that's earnest. Earnesty isn't a word. And earnestness isn't a word. So earnest. It's going to sound weird. But Elijah bowing his head in between his knees also showed he was earnest. And what does earnest mean? It's like old language. Earnest basically just means that you're intentional about what you're doing and you're serious about doing it. How many of us have like talked to our friends and like, can you just pray for me? And they're like, oh, sure, I'll pray for you. And then the next week they're like, they're like oh, thanks. Say, thanks so much for praying for me because it actually happened. And they're like, oh, I forgot. And you're just like, oh, yeah, praise be to God. Like, I was praying day and night. You're like lying because, or you just try to hide the truth altogether. Like, so you were praying, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, sure I was. So when we pray for people and we tell people that we're going to pray for them, some helpful, helpful tips are, number one, keep a list. So you actually have a prayer guide. I just started this like last month, but I have in my pocket a prayer journal just a mini one that I keep with me. It's the size of my wallet, basically. So I just stick it in there. Anytime I have a prayer request, I can just jot it down. Hard part is actually praying with it because you always forget, but at least I have it down. So you remember. Or if someone asks for you to pray with them, just pray on the spot. It might be awkward. You might be in the middle of the mall. You might be in public, but that's okay because then that opens another opportunity for you to witness. Romans 12 verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And so many of us are so ready to just pretend to love people. And if the Holy Spirit places someone on your heart, don't resist. I know I'll be driving sometimes and one of you guys pops in my head, not in like a creepy way, but the Lord just places you on, on my heart and then I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray. And if you resist that, I think... I think you're doing a disservice. I think there's a reason why the Lord does that to us. So whenever the Holy Spirit prompts, we shouldn't resist. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Next point is in verse 43. We are to pray with faith. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. So I'd be thinking like time number four. Like I go, I check, all right, nothing happened. Number five, I'm like, okay, I definitely just saw this guy call down fire from heaven. This has been like five times and nothing's happening. In order to have a godly prayer life, we also have to pray with faith. It means praying even if the odds are against you because we believe in a God that through which all things are possible. So sometimes that means we actually have to believe the impossible. Not to say that God's irrational or unreasonable, but sometimes you got to put faith at the priority of your list. 
You can put reason and put it underneath it and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to trust. I don't understand it. I don't know how this is going to work, but I just know you're going to make this work. Doesn't mean that you muster up either. Like so many of us will think that we have to like sit in service, be in this emotional experience during worship or a youth group, and we'll muster up the faith that we need. But that's not what the Lord is asking us to do. That faith comes by hearing and comes by the word of God. As we trust in the Lord, we are with the Lord, he gives us that measure of faith. But it's not something that you can work up all by yourself. I remember praying for a Dominican uh, trip. It's happened both years, actually. But last year, one of our students that's in your grade wasn't able to get her passport. And there were so many complications. And this year, the same exact thing happened. Couldn't get their passport, you know, had a separate father that's been non-existent in their life, hasn't seen them in years. And I just said to her, I was like, well, you're going to go. Like, no, I don't think it's going to happen. It's going to be impossible. And like, no, you're going. I'm going to pray for it to happen. And it happened both years. And it's been four kids that that's happened. And sometimes the Lord just gives you that word where you're just like, no, it's going to happen. I mean, I could be wrong. It's not like the life, my life has changed if I'm wrong. But sometimes the Lord gives you that measure of faith because he says, ask anything in my name and I will do it. So now here's the question that probably is making all of you zone out and not believe me at all. What do you do when God doesn't answer prayer? Okay, you, you says, it says, you says, the Bible says, ask anything in my name and I will do it. But obviously I've prayed for a lot of things and he hasn't done it. So how does that work? So what you're telling me, Alan, is if I ask anything of God, he's going to do it. But I've prayed, the majority of my prayers I prayed, he hasn't done anything. So how do you deal with that? Well, God doesn't answer prayers when we, there's a couple scenarios. Number one, pray for contradictory things. So God doesn't answer a prayer if you ask for a contradictory thing, because it's impossible. It's logically impossible. Let me give you an example, two examples. Number one, two sports teams, the Yankees and the Mets, are playing against each other. Both have Christian members on their team. They both pray, Lord, let me win this game. Now the Lord obviously can't answer both prayers. Even if they pray, in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord can't answer both of those prayers because they're contradictory things. Sometimes you'll be praying for something that's actually contrary to God's will for your life. Or it just might be downright impossible. The other example is two guys like the same girl. Lord, let me marry this person. Lord, let me date this person. And the Lord's like, uh, well, it'd be kind of weird if it's polygamy, so no. And the Lord doesn't grant our prayers because they're contradictory. Scriptures actually give examples of unanswered prayer. So this isn't just you. It's not just you living in 2012. But Paul himself prayed for the thorn in his flesh to go away three times. And the Lord didn't take it away. He said, my strength is sufficient for you, for it's my power that works best in weakness. Paul also prayed in Romans chapter 15 that he'd be able to go to Judea and be safe. And little did he know, he went to Judea, he got thrown in prison, and he eventually died. But Paul prayed. And you're like, well, what happened? Did God just not answer his prayer? I've had a friend of mine that I climb with who's a devout atheist and he's got all these theories and stuff and I talk to him about God every now and then. We had this big God debate on Facebook and I heard that his shoulder was injured through a rock climbing injury. So I was, you know, checking up on him and I, I heard about it. So I told him on Facebook, I'm just quoting, I was like, oh, I'm sorry to hear about that, that you, you know, you tore your shoulder, that's a bummer. I'll pray for it and I'll, I hope that your shoulder's okay. And Simon said, or I just gave you his name. I didn't mean to say that, but whatever. He's not going to listen to this. He says, ha ha, 
He says, have at it. But several systematic reviews have shown that intercessory prayer is not effective for healing. And he gave me two journals, like scientific journals that show that prayer is ineffective. And so I said back to him, I was like, well, that's funny you say that because a miracle is actually defined as a supernatural and rare event. So if it was actually documented, that'd be pretty funny. But um, because it's a rare event, you can't document rare events. But you know what? Maybe the Lord will make a special case for you. So that's what I said back to him. But the world doesn't believe in prayer. They don't believe that when we pray, thing, pray for things, it actually changes the world. But we as Christians know that when we pray and ask for things in Jesus' name, he gives one of four answers. Yes, no, wait, or here's something better. Because that's what God does. And how many of us have heard that, but then you have objections, right? You hear God when he answers our prayer, because we can't just come up to God and you can't be a sinner. And you, you have all these qualifications like you have to pray in faith, you have to believe that God can actually do it, all those things. And God at the end of it says, yes, maybe, no, or here's something better. But the objection that comes to us is the promise is not that he'll say yes, no, maybe, or here's something better, or wait. But the promise is that when we pray, he'll say yes. Jesus said, whatever we ask in his name, he will do it. Not that he will answer it and say no, because the promise is, is that he'll always say yes. So what do you do with that? Or here's the second objection. It's called a death by a thousand qualifications. When Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done. We didn't expect him to really mean, whatever you ask in my name, if you have no unconfessed sin in your life, and if your motives are pure, and if you have faith, and, you, and, and if you are really in earnest, and you're, you persist in asking, and to top it all off, if it is God's will, I will do it. We don't expect that to happen, right? When we pray, your will be done, Jesus' prayer, or our prayer, to Jesus actually becomes unfalsifiable. The word unfalsifiable means you can't show that it's wrong. So anytime it doesn't happen, anytime we pray and we say, well, Lord, let your will be done. We could just say like, okay, I pray for, I don't know, what do I pray for these days? I'll pray for it not to rain tomorrow so that we'll have good weather for whatever. I don't know. I'm really bad with examples right now because I'm really hungry. But we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, no rain tomorrow. And then tomorrow it rains. They'll say, well, it wasn't Jesus' will. So it becomes unfalsifiable. So you can't prove to your friends and say, well, I prayed for this and this actually happened. And then you feel like an idiot. Because then your friends are like, well, if you just pray in Jesus' name, then you just like, you win all the time. Like, yeah, I know. Well, William Lane Craig, looking at this, says, this objection betrays a lack of understanding as to how that we know our Christian faith is true. Our confidence in the truth of Christianity in general and Jesus' promise in particular is not based on the evidence of answered prayer. Prayer is one of the dimensions of the life of faith, not of apologetics. Now, here's the mind-blowing thing for me. Some of you here today, when you pray, look up here. Everyone look up here. When you're praying, everybody, you're gonna make this awkward. Okay, good. Some of you here today, when you pray, you're testing God. The Bible says not to test God, but you're like, whatever, I'm going to test God. So you pray and you expect something to happen, but you're like, but if this doesn't happen, I'll know, I'll know maybe this isn't really true. I'll know that God maybe isn't real. So you're testing God, but prayer is not one of those things that we're just casting out the fleece like Gideon. If you do that, you're always going to be doubting. 
But we know Christianity is true, not from the evidence of prayer, not through testing God, because God's not supposed to be tested. We know Christianity is true through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, through scripture, through prophecy, through all those other evidences, so that we have the presupposition that Christianity is, Christianity is true. So when we come to God in prayer, we already have the faith to know he's going to do it. So if you're here today and when you pray, you're doubting, you're already off the wrong foot. You got to get your life right with God first. He shows himself to you in his word. He makes himself real to you so that when you do pray, you're like, well, yeah, obviously if this doesn't work, I know it's not because I'm trying to control God and twist his will, bend it to mine, but I'm trying to align my will to make myself more like God, to be holy for he is holy. So the last aspect is persistence in verse 44. Then it came to pass the seventh time, he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. After constantly praying for something over and over, it can get, you know, you can get worn out and start praying less and less. But the Bible actually says to do the opposite. The more that you pray, you should pray even more. In Luke chapter 18, we know the parable of the persistent widow. I'll just read it out to you because I think it's awesome. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. That's the purpose of the story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, saying give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? In other words, what Jesus is saying is keep on knocking, keep on asking, and the door will be open to you because we know God is real and we know that he will answer. Alistair Begg says, every time we find it difficult to maintain prayer, we'll be helped by remembering that it is simply an indication of its key importance in the spiritual battle. It is sheer foolishness to pray only when we feel like it. So in other words, we can exhaust ourselves in prayer because we know there's a God that's real that will hear, hear our prayers. I'm dying. Sorry. Psalm 6, verse 6 through 9 says, I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. We can cry out to the Lord. We can give him everything we've got because we know that he's there. We know that he's real. Like Jacob says, I will not let you go, Lord, until you bless me. That should be our heart. The Israelites needed rain in order to survive. And how much we need the living water in order to survive. And so many of us think that we can go without that living water, without the spiritual water that comes only from Jesus. And then we find ourselves dry, we forget. And we're like, well, maybe it's not even real. Maybe God's not even there. Look at verse 45 through 46 in conclusion. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Gideon, or Gideon, Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Sorry, I just can't stop thinking about Bible stories and I 
slip in names sometimes. When we exhaust ourselves in prayer, we know that we will not be left exhausted. It's not like Elijah was going to pray, do all these things, you know, do all his best for the Lord. And then the Lord's like, and by the way, you get to be swept away in a monsoon. Good job. The Lord isn't going to leave us like that. And if you exhaust yourselves in prayer, you take a little bit of your time and say, you know what? I don't know how this is going to work. I have work tomorrow. I have a game to do tomorrow. I have whatever things that your parents are asking you to do tomorrow. But I really want to do this thing with, with the prayer challenge. It's not like the Lord's going to be like, ha, now you're going to be screwed for tomorrow. The Lord's not going to do that because he's a good God. He's going to supply that strength. I've known anytime I sacrifice sleep for the Lord just because I want to hear from him or read my Bible, in the morning I'm strangely more awake. Later on in the day I might collapse. I'm not saying that's like an always thing. I'm not going to say that it's a guarantee, but I know the Lord is good and all things work together for good. So we should trust God a little bit more. So I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but sometimes we'll feel as though we have to put qualifications on our prayers. And that's why the Lord won't hear us. And that's why we're not even going to bother praying. Because we're like, well, I'm not a pastor or I'm not really religious. So the Lord's not really going to use me. And we feel like we have to be qualified in order to come before God in effective prayer or make an impact in the world for God. But James chapter 5, verse 17 through 18 says, Elijah was a man with nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You know what it's saying there? It's saying that Elijah was just like you and me. And you know what? He probably doubted that the Lord would use him too. If you read chapter 19, you see that exact scenario. Right after he does all these crazy things with Mount Carmel and the drought, he prays and stuff. And he's like, Lord, why? Why me? Why don't you just kill me? Why don't you just take my life, Lord, because I'm miserable. And God's like, really? Really, Elijah? He's like, I'm the only one left, Lord. He's like, no, there's like 700 people. He's like, oh, Lord. Elijah is just like you and me. And the minute we realize that is the minute we're going to start praying and say, wow, Elijah is just, he's going to be like your friend, like your best friend that prays and something happens. You're like, oh, I, I'm going to pray too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what the Lord does. Everyone is equally worthy to come before God in Christ Jesus because he has been our high priest. That's what Hebrews chapter tw uh, twen, 10 verse 22 says. That Jesus was our high priest so we can come before him. We can come boldly to the throne of grace knowing that in, we could find help in our time of need. Even if you don't know what to pray for, you're like, I don't know what to pray for for eight hours. Romans 8.26 says, likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. If we don't know what we're supposed to pray for, but the, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So you might not even know what to pray for, and the Holy Spirit will actually give you the words to pray for you. So that means we can pray in the morning using our daily Bible verses or pray not knowing what we're going to say at all. We could pray looking up and pray with our eyes closed, the point is we just have to pray. Andrew Murray says, wait on him if need be in silence or in prayer until he gives you the assurance, my child, for today all is safe. I take charge. And morning by morning he will renew you to the blessing. And morning by morning you will go out from your quiet time and in consciousness saying, today I have had fellowship with my king and it is all right. Jesus has taken charge. When we come to God with expectancy, with humility, we humble ourselves before him, 
we cry out before him, we tear our hearts instead of our garments with our actions and we say, Lord, here I am. I'm going to set aside eight hours of my day or my night. I'm going to sacrifice this for you. I'm going to do this for you. Not because I know you delay in sacrifices, but I know you, you want a broken and contrite heart. And Lord, that's what I'm going to give to you. When we pray those things, I don't see how God's going to be like, huh, well, that was really great, but uh, fooled you. When I wrote that passage, I just want to trick you. But I think we should come to these passages. When we read this in 1 Kings chapter 18, I don't think we should say, well, what did Elijah do? Did he, did he pray on his knees? So we should pray on your knees too. Or what did, Elijah had faith, so we should have more faith. The whole point is God uses stupid people that doubt that are just like you and me. And God's like, what do I have to do to prove it to you that I want to use you? Every single person in this youth group, I want to use you. You're about to go to school. Okay, I want to use you. But we'll think, yeah, but just... Just like you want to use my friend or you want to use that pastor. You want to use the person that's more spiritually able. God says, no, my power works best in weakness. So if you can't make it tonight, I understand. I'm not going to lay it on you, obviously. I mean, it's hard. I've never done this before. I've never done a prayer challenge before. But I think tonight might be a night of new beginnings where we, we could put up like this cornerstone almost and we're like, Lord, this is where we stand right now. We're going to document this day. We're going to write it down, write down a request made known to you. And we just pray that your peace would surpass all of our understandings and give us that joy so that we can look back at this day and say, that was the day everything changed. When I got my heart right before the Lord, I said, I'm not going to let anything hold me back. I've had a secret sin. I'm going to let go of it. You know, I haven't been thankful. I'm going to give him thanks. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to do everything it takes because I want to take this year seriously. You're about to go back to school. Some of you are going off to college and the rest of you are going back to high school. And each of you are going to be in a, a situation where you're confronted with the world. And unless you're prepared, you're not going to know what to do. And you're going to be like me. And you're going to go through high school and you're going to be like, well, I'm going to lead the Bible club so that I fill my spiritual quota like we talked about last year. Your heart won't be right and you'll miss all those opportunities and you'll have less opportunities to see the Lord transform your life. I mean, people of Israel were going through a drought. There's been times in history besides this one where people haven't heard from God for 400 years. The time between the Old Testament, New Testament, 400 years where they didn't hear from God. You think people doubted God then? Yeah. You think people stopped believing in miracles? Yeah. But you think we should stop believing in miracles? No. You think that we should be like, oh, well, God's not going to answer my prayer anymore. No. God obviously wants to use us. He says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. All he's waiting for is that willing spirit. That heart says, here I am, Lord, send me. And if you're that person and you're ready for that, I think God's going to do an amazing thing. And that's why I'm so psyched for tonight because I stink at prayer. I really do. Even thinking about it this week, I was just like, crap, what am I going to do? And just like pray for eight hours and hard, hardly pray for like half an hour. It was like a struggle for me to, to be at church and pray for a half an hour in the morning. I'm just being honest with you. I don't know if that's you, but that's me. And we'll always point at someone else and be like, but that person's obviously got it and I can't have that too. But looking at Elijah, someone that's obtained it, someone that got it, looking at Paul, people that got it back in the day, I think we can replicate that. And if we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, I think we're going to do some news-breaking things that other people are going to look at and be like, geez, that impact high school youth group. 
It's an anointed youth group. They must have done something crazy. Or God just might really, must really love that youth group or something. That must be a special youth group set apart for God or something. When all we really did was set aside our time to seek him.